you know, from the time we were young, we learn a lot of things. Um, it's funny, you learn that lesson very early on to not touch something hot, or at least you're told to. And then it doesn't take very long before all of a sudden your dad's teaching you in the backyard how to start a fire. And, and uh, all of a sudden, then you learn that the fire is hot, so you shouldn't touch that either. You grow a little bit older, and you'd be teenagers, and all of a sudden, we start to learn what it means to drive and what it means to park. And um, I sometimes wonder if I still know how to park. You know, the bigger the vehicle, the harder it is to park. I watch Tyler pulling every day, and how do you get between those lines, you know? Um, and, uh, but I've seen some of you park, too, so it's not really an excuse. Um, it, you know, so it is fun in that sense. But also, then you start to get older, right? And you start to become an adult, and then, then there's work. And then there's that thing that comes up every year in January and February, t- t- taxes, you know, that we have to do. And then there's um, planning things, and then there's becoming a parent. And the more that you become a parent, the longer you become a parent, you think you've got it all figured out. And then all of a sudden, something else happens. You're going, man, I, got, I have no clue. Um, and you think you're learning. You think you're going. You think you've got it figured out. And I remember the very first time, I remember we were starting to take a family vacation. You know, now we did a few family vacations when I was a kid. I don't know that my dad ever planned anything. He said, we're going to go here. You know, that was before Google Maps. I remember the big atlas in the car with the big flip pages. Sometimes they would get the trip tick and mom would sit there and flip the pages. Check, did that one. Check, did that one. But we got lost more times as a kid on vacation than I ever can remember. And I remember planning our very first family vacation, and it was, it was detailed. I mean, I had it down. We had a day-by-day agenda. My wife's going, can we go and relax? And says, that's not what vacation's for. We're supposed to have fun. We're supposed to see this and this and this. And she's like, no, 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 no. You don't need to plan at all. I says, but we're going on a journey. It has to be planned out. Well, I've gotten a little bit better. I'm not going to say I've gotten a lot better, but I've gotten a little bit better. But you and I are about ready to, to plan a journey. We're about ready to go on a journey into a book that some people always say they want to study. Others say, I'm afraid to study because I don't know what it says. We're going to go into a journey on the book of Revelation. It's a short seven-week jaunt. We're not going to try to bite the whole chunk right now because it's a lot to consume and a lot to look at. But as we do, as we walk through this journey together, I want to encourage you that if you have questions, ask. If you're not sure about something, ask. That's why we're here. You can email us. You can text us. You can call us. We can sit down. I have no problem with that. I would rather have you understand what we're talking about and why we're talking about it than having stories going out there I don't understand. This book is veiled with mystery. It's veiled with imagery because there are things that we don't understand. There are things that are yet to come. We're not going to get into all those details. Um, It is a fascinating book to truly sit down and look at. But there is one thing I want you to know. More than anything else, the greatest story about this book is the ending. Because we win. That's really, ultimately, if you ask me what the book of Revelation is all about, it's about strength through victory. It is about our strength that we get because of the victory of Jesus Christ. So if you forget everything else over the next seven weeks... Don't forget that, please. There is strength. So as we start to hop through these different seven churches, they're going to talk to us about the future. They're going to talk to us about the present. They're going to talk to us about things that we need to understand, things that we learn, things that we don't know, 
And things that we may go, I don't really want to know that. Because you're kind of stepping on my toes and it hurts. And that's okay. Because we can all learn and grow together. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, let me just kind of start the book this way. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must take place, what must soon take place, the future. He made it known by sending his angel to the servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written, because the time is near. For the setting, we see John, one of the original 12 apostles. It's about 95 AD. He'd been banished to the island of Patmos, a sun-scorched, dry, weary, dreary place because of his preaching of Jesus Christ. It's about 95, 30 years after most of the disciples have died or been martyred. John is up in age. And while he's there, he's given this vision of Jesus Christ. If you read through chapter 1, which I really would encourage you to do this week, it says, a vision of one like the Son of Man. Fascinating enough, in verses 12 through 16, it talks about who this person is. Not just the imagery of it, but the character of this person talks about the eyes and how they glow and how the word is like a double sword, a double-edged sword that comes from his mouth. You'll see the imagery when you read through it. What you need to understand, that is the quality and the characteristic of Jesus, of the one who is speaking, of the one who is here. And he shares with John a message of what currently is happening in the churches of Asia, Asia and of what is about to happen in the future. And anytime we talk about the future, it's scary. It's just like Daryl said, we don't know what's going to happen this week. How can we possibly know what's going to happen in the future? And in Revelation 1.11, we read these words. Write in a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. These churches depict the church as a whole, all of us. It's past, it's present, it's future, it's blessings, and yes, it's faults. Charles Erdman said it this way, and if you don't remember anything else, please try to remember these three words. He said this, these churches denote the virtues which must be manifested, the imperfections which must be removed, and the faith which must, which must be remained and retained. Those are the things that we have to understand as we walk through this. Now, the first message was given to the church at Ephesus. Some would say, well, okay, any church mentioned here is not good. No, it was good. It was about 60 to 70 miles away from where John was. It was a seaport town, the capital of Asia Minor, the area in which you and I would call Turkey today, so you get a familiarity. Ephesus was a wealthy city. It was a large city, about 300,000 in that day. Think about how large that is. city of Akron. It's that big. It was a chief commercial and religious center of the day and age, and it was really known as the light of Asia. The trade routes from the Roman Empire ended and started there. And it was really known for the Temple of Diana. If you've done your ancient history, 
one of the seven wonders of the world. So let's set up this first letter. In Revelation 2, 1 through 7, we read these words. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me. If not, it's up on the screen. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. And then we get to verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have found this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says of the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in paradise of God. John starts with a key reminder here in chapter 1, in verse 1 of chapter 2. He tells them, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. This is a reference back to chapter 1, verse 20. That's why I tell you you need to read chapter 1. And what we see is the stars are the angels and the messengers of the churches. The lampstands are the churches themselves. And this one like a son of man is walking through the lampstands. Christ is walking among the churches see what I'm saying? Christ is present in the life of the church. In the same way that the Holy Spirit is upon us today, Christ is present in the church today. Not just the church then, but the church today. And he walks among us. God is active and still active in the affairs of man. Now, the church at Ephesus was a good church. You can read some of these stories that go through. So don't say, oh, everything's bad. It's not. The church was started by Paul, had a long list of very prominent leaders, possibly even including John himself. The church was growing. It was reaching. It was changing lives. This list of qualities mentioned in verses 2 through 3, that God knows their deeds, is a good thing. Now, as a kid, when mom said, I know what you did, that's not typically a good thing, okay? But here God's saying, I know your deeds. It's a good thing. Your hard work and your perseverance. You cannot tolerate wicked men. And who he's talking about was false teachers. This letter of the Nicolaitans couldn't stand false teachers. Those who claimed to be apostles but were not. The church knew the truth and they held to that truth. And because they held to it, what happened? In verse 3, it says they endured hardships and they did not grow weary. You see, when we hold to the truth in something, we can overcome. When we let go of the truth and we let go of the simple fact that God loves us, all of a sudden everything else becomes harder and more difficult. Now, all sounds good, doesn't it? Not really, because somewhere along the line, the book of Revelation, with every blessing comes a warning, um, comes something else. 
They said they believed. They looked great. The church acted like it. They were doing good things. There was a lot of works. There was a lot of deeds. But something, something was missing. Missing. Someone else was on the throne. God says, I need to reclaim the throne in your life. Now, kids have a different view of love, don't they? I love elementary kids. I love what they say, and so many times it's fun to share these things. But Glenn, age seven, when asked about what is love, this is what Glenn said. If falling in love is anything like learning how to spell, I don't want to do it. It just takes too long. Regina, age 10, agrees. I'm not rushing into love. I'm finding fourth grade hard enough. Keep it up, Regina, right? Angie, age 10, which I would love to know where this came from, where she got her information, or who she knew, says this. Most men are brainless. So you might have to try more than once to find a live one. Okay? Not sure what her family situation was like. Dave, age 8, said, love will find you, even if you're trying to hide from it. He said, I've been trying to hide from it since I'm five years old, and the girls keep finding me. <laughs> Emmanuel, age eight, and I think this is the most important one for us, says, I think you're supposed to get shot with an arrow or something. He says, but the rest of it isn't supposed to be so painful. Why, why is love painful? Here in the world and here in the church in Ephesus, Somewhere along the line, love has become painful. And the big warning to the church was, I hold this against you. You have forsaken. You have lost the love that you had at first. Listen, a loving devotion to Christ can be lost in the middle of active service. And certainly no amount of teaching or preaching can bring you back and help you to understand what it means to serve the Lord and to love one another. The word first here, protos, is the Greek name, talks about a love that would suggest that they still loved, however they didn't love like they did initially. Something else has become more important, or someone else. Now, Jesus told us that the sign of a Christian would be love. Remember the old song when you were kids, and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. They need to have this deep sense of love for Christ and for one another. Friends, let me just tell you, it's really easy to come to church. It's something else to be the church. One of the reasons that apathy sets in is that many times we fail to see ourselves as the church, to fail to see ourselves as the body of Christ. We come to this building, and we call it the church. This is a building. It is a structure that we use for ministry. You are the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the ones that make a difference in the world, are called to make a difference in the world, not the building. No amount of lights, no amount of water, no amount of structure can change the world. People change the world, and Christians are called to be a change agent. Many times we see the church as an event. We see the church as a program, and God tells us we're called to love one another. We're called to be family. If others are to see Christ in the world today, it's because of the picture that we paint with our lives. 
And I hope that makes sense. It's what people see in you which will make a difference. What did Jesus say on the Sermon on the Mount? Think about it. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. We are called to be the change agent. But it's a problem. Because the reason that many believers don't accept Christ, the reason that many of them don't want to ever walk in the doors of the church is because of us. Because we don't really live the life we've been called to live. We say one thing and we do something completely different. That's not how we're called to live. You see, we can be busy. We can be a church that stands in the Word of God, a church that perseveres, and that's essential, but let's make sure that we're the church that God, that truly loves God, and I mean completely. Ask yourself this question. Do you love God as much as you used to? Think about that. When you first came to know Christ, did you have more of a zeal, more of a passion, more of a desire to learn, more of a desire to study, more desire to grow, more of a desire to sing, more of a desire to share your faith? Was there ever a time when you love God more than you do right now? And if so, why? Because you and I can start the journey all over again. All it takes is a turn of a page in our hearts, change in our minds. Remember what Jesus told us to do. If you love me, keep my commandments. The problem in Ephesus was they had become apathetic. They had lost, forsaken their first love. They still had programs. They still had ministries. But they had lost the heart of what they were doing and why they were doing it. And if you and I aren't careful in church, it's easy for us to fall into the same thing. Oh, let's start more programs. Let's start more ministries. Let's do more things. We'll reach more people. Maybe. Or made us reach the same people over and over and over again. We have to think about that. How are we being the church, being Christ to the world? We've got to get back to the basics. Somewhere along the line, people are always looking for love in all the wrong places. And it's time that you and I showed people what love is all about. We've forgotten what's supposed to happen here. The Bible has a lot to say about what the church is supposed to be and who we are called to be. Being the church is not just about coming on Sunday mornings, gathering for an hour, and go, oh, I feel good when I come out of there, inspired, ready to go. I got my spiritual shot for the week. Now I'm ready to face the world. That's not just what the church is called to be. We're called to be a living, active body. We're called to deny ourselves, to take up the cross and follow him. And why would we do that? Here it is. Because we are hopelessly and desperately in love with the one who saves us. We just sang some amazing songs of worship that talked about only Jesus. I want to give my life to only Jesus. Did you sing the words or did you mean the words? Do we really love him with our hearts and with our lives and our actions and everything that we do? 
The best part about the book of Revelation was we have the cure. He tells us, what do you need to do if you've lost your first love? It's right here. The way back, oh, it seems all so simple, but it's not. The first thing we have to do is remember. We're told to remember their initial condition. I want you to think about these things. To remember and to recall their first love. What was it like when you first fell in love? Did you have those little butterflies that feel good? Did you have those googly eyes that you couldn't just stop looking at one another? You wanted to spend time together. You wanted to really spend time together. A little bit of study this week, I found that the average couple, when they first start to date, spend about 15 hours a week together. You may say, well, that's not that much. Oh, it's a lot more what you think. How much time do you spend with your spouse now? Get home, five, six o'clock at night, you eat dinner, you go to bed at eight or nine. Hey, that's enough. Do you have date nights anymore? You need to plan those. Those are important. Why? Because it will help you remember why you fell in love in the first place. And if we remember why we fell in love with Jesus, we need to spend time with him. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in the Word. Spend time serving and caring and loving in that sense. To remember Jesus. When I first came to Christ, I was on fire. I studied my Bible every day. I memorized Scripture. I had all those old, and I'll talk about how old I am. I had all those cassette tapes. If you remember those, the little things. They weren't the big eight-track. I know some of you have the eight-track. Don't kid yourself. And there were all these rock groups, my favorite groups when I was in high school, and I thought, I can't listen to this stuff anymore. It's got all that sinful music on it. My mind was just transformed, and I threw it all away. I burnt some of them. Not, don't, not recommend that. They stink really bad. Um, okay? And I changed. But what's happened over time, it's like, I'm not that obsessed like I was at first. I spent night after night after night studying and memorizing Scripture. And I still read. I still study, but I don't memorize like I used to. Why? I need to remember my first love. I need to get back to the way that it used to be. Something happened because I thought all of a sudden that my time was more important. And all of a sudden when I put myself and I put I before God everything changed. And we do that, don't we? We need to remember. But we also, the Scripture tells us, need to repent. I think it's fascinating. Old church word, we don't use it very much anymore. We need to repent. Why? Because repent means to change. Nobody likes to change, do they? As soon as you say that, it's like, I don't want to hear that. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to change my life. I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to rebel in that sense. No, I'm going to do what I want to do. If we're going to remember our first love, we have to repent. Something else is sitting on the throne. Someone else. Maybe it's stuff. Maybe it's myself. Maybe it's family. I don't know what it is. But we need to turn around and repent. Charles Erdman, in his commentary, said it this way. He says, whatever stands between you and your love for God is a mistress. And it needs to be eliminated. That's harsh. But it's the truth. 
And it's time for us to repent, to turn back, and start with a new heart. And last but not least, it's time to repeat, to do what you did at first. Spend time with God. Keep the main thing the main thing. To remember what the church is all about, and it's all about these two things. The great command and the great commission. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. To love other people. To love God, to love others. And then to do what with that love? In Matthew 28, we read these words, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything, not a couple things, everything that I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Friends, if our lives are going to change, if we're going to change lives through Jesus' love, it starts with the simplicity of knowing that love and making it first and foremost in everything we do and say. We're called to love, period, to love one another, to love the Lord your God, and to do what? To go share that love with the world today and every day inside this building outside in the world to share to be the picture of Christ to the world he still walks with us he's right here he's active in our church today and we need to just follow him and love him this morning we're going to offer him an invitation. I'm going to pray in just a minute, and I want you to think about this as we sing. Maybe you need to sing this song. Maybe you need to think if there's one person in your life that maybe something's happened in the last year. You've fallen away from. You've forgotten. Someone that you maybe need forgiveness with. And say, help me to love that person this week. Because the love of Christ starts with one. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that we can gather together, we can hear your word. Father, we start talking about seven churches and seven lampstands and seven stars and the one like the Son of Man. and It can get confusing. But help us to remember the truth is that Jesus is here with us walking with us, talking with us. He's sharing with John and telling him, write these letters to help the church of that day and help the church of today. Help us to love you, to remember, to repent, and to repeat over and over again. Most of all, thank you for never forsaking us. No matter how many times we've turned our back, you're still there. Thank you for your unfailing, steadfast, relentless love. In your name we pray.